Hello, and welcome to Eddie Hurst podcast version of The War of the Worlds with me, Eddie Hurst, and here we are, not doing War of the Worlds this time, but a special Halloween, Halloween episode. episode. I, of course, in fitting with the season, am in my local cemetery. And, you know, I'd just like to support local business, and I'd really recommend that you do too. It's so tempting nowadays to go to those international conglomerate cemeteries, but I really try and keep it local, and I recommend you do too. So, like I said, we're not doing War of the Worlds, but we are in fact doing a short story by H.G. Wells. We're doing The Red Room. So I hope you enjoy this. If this is your first episode listening, welcome. The other episodes, we each episode read a chapter of the War of the Worlds and comment along with it and do some comedy songs and that. Now this is quite a long short story, uh, so I've not got any deep dives or any songs in here, but fear not guys, we've got the explaining lad, we've got a light ribbing of H.G. Wells and his writing, and we've got an absolute banger of a ghost story. So get ready, here we go. Uh, So follow me if you want to on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, I'm at Eddie Hurst, that's E-D-Y-H-U-R-S-T, like it's spelled in the title. Please do bung us a review, subscribe and like, share us everywhere. We're in we, this week. We've got into the top 50 of the UK podcast charts for sci-fi. So that's that's something. We're one of the top 50 best British sci-fi podcasts of what I can only assume is millions of them. So here we go, the red room guys. Hope you're sitting down. Light a candle. Close the curtains. Put garlic on the front door for vampires. Uh, maybe a bit of silver on your handle. So if the wolfman comes along. Uh, also, if you could have a, like a wall of flame. For uh, a mummy, if they try to come, you could set them on on fire. Uh, that'd also keep Frankenstein away, so that's good value. In fact, actually, if you just had a big wall of fire, that'd probably, probably keep them all... Yeah, so if you cover your house, like, in a ring of fire to protect yourself, do do the other... Actually, on second half, I don't... No, don't don't put fire that close to your house. So just go, to go back, just use the garlic and the silver... Um, and then, like a, like, a candle, like a small set of tea lights... By, by your door, the bottom of the door, far enough away that it's not a problem, but th- th- that'll work, right? And then you'll be safe, and get re- maybe some crosses too. I don't know, it depends if you go in for that nomenclature. D- to be honest, I don't really think the crosses and the power of Christ works in in it. Uh, I guess it depends on your religious leanings and whether the power of God actually plays a role in your life. But anyway, enough of that. Here we go in the ghost story, The Red Room, the Red Room by H.G. Wells. I can assure you, said I, that it will take a very tangible ghost to frighten me. And I stood up before the fire with my glass in my hand. Oh yes, please. Straight in with the ghosts. What is it? It's fright o'clock. It's your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm, and glanced at me askance. I mean, the withered arm is absolutely a bit ableist uh, in this day and age, but it's also primo horror material. And, big shout out to the word, askance. When does that guy do any heavy lifting? Eight and twenty years, said I. I have lived, and never a ghost have I seen as yet. The old woman sat staring hard into the fire, her pale eyes wide open. Aye, she broke in. And eight and twenty years ye have lived and never seen the likes of this house, I reckon. There's a many things to see. When one's still but eight and twenty, she swayed her head slowly from side to side. A many things to see and sorrow for. I half suspected the old people were trying to enhance the spiritual terrors of their house by their droning insistence. I put down my empty glass on the table and looked about the room, and caught a glimpse of myself, 
abbreviated and broadened to an impossible sturdiness, in the queer old mirror at the end of the room. Welcome to Horror Story Bingo. So we've already had, uh, well, we already had, we've had a ghost story coming in. Now we've got a crooked, spooky mirror. Oh, we're coming up to a full line. Uh, Marjorie, keep your eyes on that. You might get the porcelain doll yet, okay? We're going to be serving chips at half time, so do make sure that you get yourself a cheeky chippy butty in between. Well, I said, if I see anything tonight, I shall be so much the wiser. For I come to the business with an open mind. It's your own choosing said the man with the withered arm once more. I heard the faint sound of a stick and a shambling step on the flags in the passage outside. The door creaked on its hinges as a second old man entered. More bent, more wrinkled, more aged even than the first. He supported himself by help of a crutch. His eyes were covered by a shade, and his lower lip, half averted, hung pale and pink from his decaying yellow teeth. He made straight for an armchair on the opposite side of the table, sat down clumsily, and began to cough. <coughs> Jesus, I wonder what the third guy that turns up's gonna be like. He's probably just gonna be a coffin with feet poking out or something. The man with the withered hand gave the newcomer a short glance of positive dislike. The old woman took no notice of his arrival, but remained with her eyes fixed steadily on the fire. <coughs> I said it's your own choosing, said the man with the withered hand, when the coughing had ceased for a while. Oh, it's my own choosing. I answered. The man with the shade became aware of my presence for the first time, and threw his head back for a moment, and sidewise, to see me. I caught a momentary glimpse of his eyes, small and bright and inflamed. Then he began to cough and sputter again. <coughs> Why don't you drink? said the man with the withered arm, pushing the beer towards him. The man with the shade poured out a glassful with a shaking hand that splashed half as much again on the deal table. A monstrous shadow of him crouched upon the wall, and mocked his action as he poured and drank. I must confess I scarcely expected these grotesque custodians. There is, to my mind, something inhuman in sinality, something crouching and atavistic. The human qualities seem to drop from old people insensibly day by day. Hey, it's me! I know it's a Halloween one, so just imagine I'm in my costume and, and I've come as Dracula! Ooh, I'd like to suck some blood, please, if that's okay. If not, that's fine, I don't mind either. In fact, if you'd actually offered me some blood, I'd probably think it was a little bit gross, no thank you. Uh, atavistic, it's, uh, it's something that's related to the ancestral or the ancient, so it's like, it's like something a bit old. Something a bit old. Okay, I'm gonna go knock trick-or-treat on the next door, bye! The three of them made me feel uncomfortable with their gaunt silences, their bent carriage, their evident unfriendliness to me and to one another. At that night, perhaps, I was in the mood for uncomfortable impressions. Oh, uncomfortable impressions, <laughs> right then, <laughs> here we go, it's uh, Robert De Niro uh, meeting Donald Trump, <laughs> because they're not, they're not fans of one another, are they? So this will be an uncomfortable impression, here we go. Oh, it's me, Robert De Niro, bloody hell, not you, Donald. Hey, I'm Donald Trump, it's a uh, fucking, uh, yeah, nah, but don't like uh, you either, So sorry. So sorry. I resolved to get away from their vague foreshadowings of the evil things upstairs. If, said I, you will show me to this haunted room of yours, I will make myself comfortable there. Oh yeah, here we go, all aboard the SS ship Spooky, destination Ghost Harbour. The old man with the cough jerked his head back so suddenly that it startled me, 
and shot another glance of his red eyes at me from out of the darkness under the shade, but no one answered me. I waited a minute, glancing from one to the other. The old woman stared like a dead body, glaring into the fire with lacklustre eyes. If, I said a little louder, you will show me to this haunted room of yours, I will relieve you from the task of entertaining me. There's a candle on the slab outside the door, said the man with the withered hand, looking at my feet as he addressed me. Oh, Narky's very nice. But if you go to the Red Room tonight... This night of all nights, said the old woman softly. You go alone. Very well, I answered shortly. And which way do I go? I mean, either this guy is a real badass or he's an arrogant asshole. You go along the passage for a bit, said he, nodding his head on his shoulder at the door. Until you come to a spiral staircase, and on the second landing is a door covered with green bays. Go through that, and down a long corridor to the end, and the red room is on your left up the steps. Have I got that right? I said, and repeated his directions. He corrected me in one particular. Of course, and the scariest thing of all. Miss her directions! Are you really going? Said the man with the shade, looking at me again for the third time with that queer, unnatural tilting of the face. This night of all nights! Whispered the old woman. It is what I came for, I said, and moved toward the door. As I did so, the old man with the shade rose and staggered round the table, so as to be closer to the others and to the fire. At the door I turned and looked at them, and saw they were all close together. You know, it's great, just people living in the moment, innit? Not a, not a phone in sight, no need to get onto your Facebook, just living together in peace, all curled up by the fire, terrified of any ghosts. Dark against the firelight, staring at me over their shoulders with an intent expression on their ancient faces. Good night, I said, setting the door open. It's your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm. I left the door wide open until the candle was well alight, and then I shut them in, and walked down the chilly, echoing passage. I must confess that the oddness of these three old pensioners in whose charge her ladyship had left the castle, and the deep-toned, old-fashioned furniture of the housekeeper's room, in which they foregathered, had affected me curiously in spite of my effort to keep myself at a matter-of-fact phase. My diagnosis? He's getting a case of the spooks. They seemed to belong to another age. An older age. An age when things spiritual were indeed to be feared. When common sense was uncommon. An age when omens and witches were credible. And ghosts beyond denying. Their very existence, thought I, is spectral. The cut of their clothing fashions born in dead brains. The ornaments and conveniences in the room about them even are ghostly. The thoughts of vanished men, which still haunt rather than participate in the world today. Oh, somebody better call the fire department because that's one serious burn he gave out. And the passage I was in, long and shadowy, with a film of moisture glistening on the wall, was as gaunt and cold as a thing that is dead and rigid. But with an effort I set such thoughts to the right about. The long, drafty, subterranean passage was chilly and dusty, and my candle flared and made the shadows cower and quiver. The echoes rang up and down the spiral staircase, and a shadow came sweeping up after me, and another fled before me into the darkness overhead. 
I came to the wide landing and stopped there for a moment, listening to a rustling that I fancied I heard creeping behind me. And then, satisfied of the absolute silence, pushed open the unwilling baize-covered door and stood in the silent corridor. Hey, I didn't really want to interrupt the explaining lad for this one, so I'll just be really quick. Baize, it's like, um, it's a, it's a sort of type of fabric and colour, so you know like what a snooker table or a pool table has, that sort of green felty thing? That's baize, baby! The effect was scarcely what I expected, for the moonlight, coming in by the great window on the grand staircase, picked out everything in vivid black shadow or reticulated silvery illumination. Everything seemed in its proper position. The house might have been deserted on the yesterday instead of 12 months ago. Okay, so the next instruction in your recipe for making a horror story is you just want to go ahead and season your little tale with more backstory. Just really thicken up that plot, getting nice and pucker. There were candles in the sockets of the sconces, and whatever dust had gathered on the carpets or upon the polished flooring was distributed so evenly as to be invisible in my candlelight. A waiting stillness was over everything. I was about to advance, and stopped abruptly. A bronze group stood upon the landing hidden from me by a corner of the wall, but its shadow fell with marvellous distinctness upon the white panelling, and gave me the impression of someone crouching to waylay me. The thing jumped upon my attention suddenly. I stood rigid for half a moment, perhaps. Then, with my hand in the pocket that held the revolver, I advanced, only to discover a Ganymede and Eagle glistening in the moonlight. So Ganymede and Eagle, it was like a classic type of sculpture that you could have at the time. Like those train spotting posters you used to have on the walls or a live laugh love thing, but for Victorians. Uh, Ganymede was based on Greek, uh, Greek mythology, um, he was one of the Trojans who was saved by the gods to become a messenger. Uh, and I think the eagle was like a sort of thing that landed on his arm and was like, Hey, have you got any messages? And he'd be like, yeah, I've got this message. And then fly off. I mean, that's what I imagine would have happened if that was a real thing. Because what's the likeliness of Ganymede genuinely being picked up by the gods? Also, this guy's got a gun. Why is he just carrying a revolver around with him? That incident for a time restored my nerve, and a dim porcelain Chinese man on a bull table, whose head rocked as I passed, scarcely startled me. Alright, so full disclosure, I changed a word here. Um, the original word uh, was, was not Chinese man, it was another word that uh, nowadays is just not, it's just offensive and not appropriate to say. I did have a think about whether it's appropriate for me to change the word of it, or just to leave it as is, because you know, a lot of older films and things like that, when you see them, they're not edited, but there is a, a, a mention at the beginning that, you know, we're presenting them as they were at the time. This isn't sort of to celebrate that, but it's not to erase it either. Um, however, I kind of feel like as I edit and chop and mix stuff up, you know, some of the dialogue might be changed around, some bits here and there, I jump in and out. It just kind of felt like, well, I don't really think it's appropriate to say the word. Uh, so if I'm changing other bits of the story and I'm adding bits in here and there, well, I can take something out as well, especially if that happens to be a racial slur. I think that's okay. I mean, we've discussed H.G. Wells and racism and whether he was racist uh, before in the podcast a few times. You know, you can hear it in chapter one. You can also hear it in the interlude with Simon Gerrier, which I'd really recommend going to listen for more detail. You can get this story for free on Project Gutenberg uh, if, you, if you're that desperate to seek out racial slurs. Uh, but personally, I would rather this be about the spooky ghosts and not the harrowing ghosts of racism past and present. The door of the red room and the steps up to it were in a shadowy corner. 
I moved my candle from side to side in order to see clearly the nature of the recess in which I stood, before opening the door. Here it was, thought I, that my predecessor was found, and the memory of that story gave me a sudden twinge of apprehension. I glanced over my shoulder at the black Ganymede in the moonlight, and opened the door of the red room rather hastily, with my face half turned to the pallid silence of the corridor. I entered, closed the door behind me at once, turned the key I found in the lock within, and stood with the candle held aloft surveying the scene of my vigil, the great red room of Lorraine Castle, in which the young duke had died, or rather in which he had begun his dying, for he had opened the door and fallen headlong down the steps I had just ascended. That had been the end of his vigil, of his gallant attempt to conquer the ghostly tradition of the place. And never, I thought, had apoplexy better served the ends of superstition. Hello, it's me. Uh, so, apoplexy, it's un unconsciousness that's caused by a head trauma, so it could be a stroke, or apparently it could just be so angry that you pass out. There were other and older stories that hung to the room, back to the half-incredible beginning of it all. The tale of a timid wife, and the tragic end that came to her husband's jest of frightening her. Finally, a cautionary tale of warning husbands from being too spooky to their wives, lest they give them the willies up inside them. Wait, no, I don't mean like that, no, no, no. And looking round that huge shadowy room with its black window bays, its recesses and alcoves, its dusty brown-red hangings and gigantic dark furniture. One could well understand the legend that had sprouted in its black corners, its germinating darknesses. My candle was a little tongue of light in the vastness of the chamber. Its rays failed to pierce the opposite end of the room, and left an ocean of dull red mystery and suggestion, sentinel shadows and watching darkness beyond its island of light, and the stillness of desolation brooded over it all. I must confess some impalpable quality of that ancient room disturbed me. I tried to fight the feeling down. I resolved to make a systemic examination of the place, and so, by leaving nothing to the imagination, dispel the fanciful suggestions of the obscurity before they obtained a hold on me. After satisfying myself of the fastening of the door, I began to walk around the room, peering round each article of furniture, tucking up the valences of the bed and opening its curtains wide. In one place there was a distant echo to my footstep. The noises I made seemed so little that they enhanced rather than broke the silence of the place. I mean, he's just checking for monsters under his bed, is he? Classic monster check. I pulled up the blinds and examined the fastenings of the several windows. Attracted by the fall of a particle of dust, I leaned forward and looked up the blackness of the white chimney. Then, trying to preserve my scientific attitude of mind, I walked round and began tapping the oak panelling for any secret opening. But I desisted before reaching the alcove. I saw my face in a mirror. White. H.G. Uh, Wells would often write himself into his stories, uh, like the, the narrator's a sort of semi-autobiographical thing. Uh, so it sounds about right that some white bloke who's checking scientific method to look at ghosts, it seems pretty much like that could stand in for Wells. There were two big mirrors in the room, each with a pair of sconces bearing candles. And on the mantel shelf, too, were candles in china candlesticks. All these I lit one after the other. The fire was laid, an unexpected consideration from the old housekeeper, and I lit it, to keep down any disposition to shiver. And when it was burning well, I stood round with my back to it, 
and regarded the room again. I had pulled up a chintz-covered armchair and a table to form a kind of barricade before me. On this lay my revolver, ready to hand. A ghost! Ah, it came through the wall! It can go through physical objects! What should we do? I know! Shoot it with a very physical bullet! Take that, you bastard ghost! My precise examination had done me a little good, but I still found the remoter darkness of the place and its perfect stillness too stimulating for my imagination. The echoing of the stir and crackling of the fire was of no sort of comfort to me. The shadow in the alcove at the end of the room began to display that undefinable quality of a present. That odd suggestion of a lurking living thing that comes so easily in silence and solitude. And to reassure myself, I walked with a candle into it and satisfied myself that there was nothing tangible there. I stood that candle upon the floor of the alcove and left it in that position. Smart move. It's not going nowhere now. Or is it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. We're going to we're gonna have to read more. By this time, I was in a state of considerable nervous tension. Although, to my reason, there was no adequate case for my condition. My mind, however, was perfectly clear. I postulated quite unreservedly that nothing supernatural could happen. And to pass the time, I began stringing some rhymes together, Inglesby fashion, concerning the original legend of the place. Alright, so, Inglesby, he's talking about your boy, the poet himself, Thomas Inglesby, pen name of Richard Harris Barham, a, uh, a minister, he did a lot of poems, he did some famous, his most famous one is about a, a jackdaw finding a ring, uh, so it sounds like an absolute banger, and also, and this one for me is more famous, uh, that rhyme, uh, you know, B Bingo, about the dog, what was the dog's name, B-I-N-G-O, Bingo was his name, oh, I mean, I'd have opened with that, but I am kind of interested to find out what happens with this Jack door in the ring. Uh, I'm not that interested. A few I spoke aloud, but the echoes were not pleasant. There's no such thing as ghosts. Jam is best on toast. Bruce Forsyth was a great host. There's no such thing as g g g ghosts. That wasn't pleasant. The same reason I also abandoned, after a time, a conversation with myself upon the impossibility of ghosts and haunting. My mind reverted to the three old and distorted people downstairs, and I tried to keep it upon that topic. The sombre reds and greys of the room troubled me. Even with its seven candles, the place was merely dim. The light in the alcove flaring in a draught, and the fire flickering, keeping the shadows and penumbra perpetually shifting and stirring in a noiseless flighty dance. Casting about for a remedy, I recalled the wax candles I'd seen in the corridor, and, with a slight effort, carrying a candle and leaving the door open, I walked out into the moonlight and presently returned with as many as ten. These I put in various knick-knacks of china with which the room was sparsely adorned, and lit and placed them where the shadows had lain deepest, some on the floor, some in the window recesses, arranging and rearranging them until at last my 17 candles were so placed that not an inch of the room but had the direct light of at least one of them. It occurred to me that when the ghost came I could warn him not to trip over them. The room was now quite brightly illuminated. There was something very cheering and reassuring in these little silent streaming flames, and to notice their steady diminution of length offered me an occupation and gave me a reassuring sense of the passage of time. Even with that, 
However, the brooding expectation of the vigil weighed heavily enough upon me. I stood watching the minute hand of my watch creep towards midnight. Then something happened in the alcove. I did not see the candle go out. I simply turned and saw that the darkness was there, as one might start and see the unexpected presence of a stranger. The black shadow had sprung back to its place. By Jove! said I aloud, recovering from my surprise. That draft's a strong one! And taking the matchbox from the table, I walked across the room in a leisurely manner to relight the corner again. My first match would not strike, and as I succeeded with the second, something seemed to blink on the wall before me. I turned my head involuntarily and saw that the two candles on the little table by the fireplace were extinguished. I rose at once to my feet. Odd, I said. Did I do that myself in a flash of absent-mindedness? I walked back, relit one, and as I did so, I saw the candle in the right sconce of one of the mirrors wink and go right out. And almost immediately, its companion followed it. Spooky stuff. Somebody playing silly buggers with a, with a candle. That's, uh, as we all know, that's how s- most hauntings start, so... Oh, wait, is that, is that house fires? I hope this guy's being careful. The flames vanished as if the wick had suddenly snipped between a finger and a thumb, leaving the wick neither glowing nor smoking, but black. While I stood gaping, the candle at the foot of the bed went out, and the shadows seemed to take another step toward me. This won't do, said I. The first one and then another candle on the mantel shelf followed. What's up? I cried, with a queer high note getting into my voice somehow. At that, the candle on the corner of the wardrobe went out, and the one I had relit in the alcove followed. Steady on, I said. Those candles are wanted. Speaking with a half facetious, speaking with a half hysterical facetiousness, and scratching away at a match the while. For the mantel candlesticks. My hands trembled so much that twice I missed the rough paper of the matchbox. As the mantel emerged from darkness again, two candles in the remoter end of the room were eclipsed but with the same match I also relit the larger mirror candles, and those on the floor near the doorway, so that for the moment I seemed to gain on the extinctions. But then, in a noiseless volley, there vanished four lights at once, in different corners of the room, and I struck another match in quivering haste, and stood, hesitating whether to take it. As I stood undecided, an invisible hand seemed to sweep out the two candles on the table. With a cry of terror, I dashed at the alcove, then into the corner, and then into the window, relighting three as two more vanished by the fireplace. And then, perceiving a better way, I dropped the matches on the iron-bound deed box in the corner and caught up the bedroom candlestick. With this, I avoided the delay of striking matches, but for all that, the steady progress of extinction went on, and the shadows I feared and fought against returned, and crept in upon me, first a step gained on this side of me, then on that. I was now almost frantic with the horror of the coming darkness, and my self-possession deserted me, I leapt, panting from candle to candle in a vain struggle against that remorseless advance. Okay, mate, it looks like you're having a bit of problem. Uh, Maybe it's ghosts. We're getting pretty excited here, so what's your plan? What's your line of defence? Maybe you're going to hold that revolver close to you? Uh, No, you're just going to wave a candlestick around. All right, fine. You do you, mate. You do you. I bruised myself in the thigh against the table. I sent a chair headlong. I stumbled and fell and whisked the cloth from the table in my fall. My candle rolled away from me and I snatched another as I rose. Abruptly, this was blown out as I swung it off the table by the wind of my sudden movement. And immediately, the two remaining candles followed. But there was light still in the room. 
a red light that streamed across the ceiling and staved off the shadows from me. The fire! Of course, I could still thrust my candle between the bars and relight it. I turned to where the flames were still dancing between the glowing coals and the splashing red reflections upon the furniture, made two steps towards the grate, and incontinently, the flames dwindled and vanished. The glow vanished. The reflections rushed together and disappeared. And as I thrust the candle between the bars, darkness closed upon me like the shutting of an eye, wrapped about me in a stifling embrace, sealed my vision, and crushed the last vestiges of self-possession from my brain. And it was not only palpable darkness, but intolerable terror. The candle fell from my hands. I flung out my arms in a vain effort to thrust that ponderous blackness away from me, and lifting my voice, screamed with all my might. Once, twice, thrice. <coughs> then I think I must have staggered to my feet. I know I thought suddenly of the moonlit corridor, and with my head bowed and my arms over my face, made a stumbling run for the door. You know what, fair's fair, he's got to get out of there, and that sounds like a great plan, unless of course he's been a complete idiot and forgotten the location of the door that he's running towards. But I had forgotten the exact position of the door. Ah, bad luck mate. And struck myself heavily against the corner of the bed. I staggered back, turned, and was either struck or struck myself against some other bulky furnishing. I have a vague memory of battering myself thus to and fro in the darkness, of a heavy blow at last upon my forehead, of a horrible sensation of falling that lasted an age, of my last frantic effort to keep my footing. And then I remember, no more. And that's it, guys. I mean, what a spooky ending, really. It's gonna... It's left on right a cliff. It's a real bit of ambiguity there that I think in admit- Oh, wait, sorry. I got two pages stuck together. Got two pages stuck together. We'll just we'll just get back. I'm sure I'm sure this will just be a bit more of the spookiness. I opened my eyes in daylight. My head was roughly bandaged, and the man with the withered hand was watching my face. I looked about me, trying to remember what had happened, and for a space I could not recollect. I rolled my eyes into the corner and saw the old woman, no longer abstracted no longer terrible, pouring out some drops of medicine from a little blue phial into a glass. Where, where am I? I asked. I s seem to remember you, and yet I cannot remember who you are. They told me then, and I heard of the haunted red room as one who hears a tale. We found you at dawn, said he, and there was blood on your forehead and lips. I wondered that I had ever disliked him. Somebody better pick a new record, because this guy's tune has changed. The three of them in the daylight seemed commonplace old folk enough. The man with the green shade had his head bent as one who sleeps. It was very slowly I recovered my memory of the experience. You believe now, said the old man with the withered hand, that the room is haunted. He spoke no longer as one who greets an intruder, but as one who condoles a friend. Yes, said I, the room is haunted. And, and you have seen it. And we, who have been here all our lives, have never set eyes upon it, because we have never dared. Tell us, is it truly the old Earl who- No, said I, it is not. I told you so, said the old lady, with the glass in her hand. It is his poor young Countess who was from- It is not, I said. There is neither ghost of Earl nor ghost of Countess in that room. There is no ghost there at all. But worse, far worse, something impalpable. Well, they said, the worst of all fears that haunt poor mortal men, said I. And that is, in all its nakedness, Fear. 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 Fear.
Fear that will not have light nor sound, that will not bear with reason, that deafens and darkens and overwhelms. It followed me through the corridor. It fought against me in the room. I stopped abruptly. There was an interval of silence. My hand went up to my bandages. The candles went out one another and I fled. Then the man with the shade lifted his face sideways to see me and spoke. That is it, said he. I knew that was it. A power of darkness to put such a curse upon a home. It lurks there always. You can feel it even in the daytime. Even of a bright summer's day. In the hangings. In the curtains. Keeping behind you however you face a back. In the dusk it creeps in the corridor and follows you. So that you dare not turn. It is even as you say. Fear itself is in that room. Black fear. And there it will be. So long as this house of sin endures. Right. Oh, okay. So it turns out, of course, uh, the real ghost was fear. Um, I don't know about you guys, I'm, I'm feeling a little underwhelmed by that, that we went so far, and uh, the big the big finale was, uh, oh, HG, what's going to be the monster of this one? You know, you've had, you've had the Invisible Man, he's a bit of a scary lad, you've had the Morlocks, they're terrifying in the time machine, you've had... Martians, they're a, they're an unknown quantity of, of danger. What do you what do you got in your ghost story? Uh, I'll tell you what I've got. I've got the fear in every man's heart. So it's uh, I gotta be honest. War of the Worlds is probably spookier than this. I mean, it was pretty scary when the candles went out, you know, via a strong draft of wind. Uh, but that that's kind of the point of it, isn't it? It's him trying to put science into a ghost story, uh, and and clearly he wanted to do that more than he actually wanted to tell a spooky ghost story. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy it. There was some good bits of writing, wasn't there? Also, if anybody's missing travelling uh, throughout this uh, throughout this pandemic that we find ourselves in, well, I, I hope through my accent of the man with the withered arm, you at least felt like you went from somewhere as far away as the east end of London all the way to Australia. So there was certainly some travel there for you to enjoy. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, a little bit different, but I enjoyed making it. It was a nice, nice little, uh, nice little sojourn away from the book proper. But fear not. In a, in a in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be back with the next chapter, which is chapter fourteen in London. Please like, subscribe, share the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Eddie Hurst, and just tell people that you know. You know, like I said, thanks to the reviews and the subscriptions that we've got, we're now in the top fifty UK podcasts. We're now in the top 50 UK sci-fi podcasts, which is uh, amazing. It's, it's, I didn't think when I started this, quite frankly, ridiculous podcast uh, we'd get anywhere near there. So that's, that's amazing. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, thank you for, for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe and watch out for some of those pesky, absolutely not ghosts, just the fear of man that lurks in your heart. So that's going to be a little bit trickier to get rid of than just a ghost. Uh, but, you know, do what you can, uh, especially in this world that is in some places literally on fire see you in a bit guys bye